and uh, we watched the, a series of setbacks. But right now, I think young people are starting to see politics as a path for change. We had a huge victory this year, uh, a record, I would say, that more than 2 million young people between 16 and 18 years old registered to vote in this election. So people are starting to talk about it more. And I, I'm witnessing the, the strengthening of our democratic culture through civic engagement, popular participation through social media. And of course, the, the change of government will not solve all, all of our problems, but it's a good start. I, I think it is. <laughs> Thanks very much there to Maria and speaking to James Reynolds. And also we heard that message from Afonso. Thank you very much to all three of them for taking part. Now, listening to that conversation is my colleague, Natalia Passerino. She's from BBC Brazil. And uh, we've been listening to that. Con- it's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, a couple of lines that I picked up there, Natalia, they, you know, Brazilians can't speak about uh, politics in a polite and kind manner anymore. But it's not alone. We see that happening more, you know, more across the world at the moment. They spoke about fears of political violence. There's an increase in that. Just one of the things I want to pick up on first before we go to the other questions. We also heard mention of those corruption allegations against uh, President Bolsonaro. What are they and have they been proven? Well, yeah, so Bolsonaro um, took office and, and during his campaign in 2018, he, uh, the fight against corruption was one of his main messages. Mm. But during his government, uh, several investigations started targeting himself and his sons. And just to remind everyone, he has uh, three sons that are in political life. They're Senate. Uh, one is a senator. Another one is a, is a deputy a congressman in the lower house of, in Brazil. Uh, one accusation against Bolsonaro's government Government is that during the negotiations to buy vaccines uh, to battle COVID-19, there would have been nego- uh, a, an attempt to deviate money uh, and to buy certain vaccines and, other, and not others uh, to benefit uh, some, uh, some contributors and, and people in Bolsonaro's government in the Ministry of Health. This, was, uh, this is being investigated, but Bolsonaro is not himself right now accused in a formal uh, judicial process in the Supreme Court. And that's, it's being investigated. And still. that's important to yes, actually uh-huh. say. Thank, thank you yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also heard Maria talk about Brazil's electronic voting system. What she said was one of the most trustworthy in the world, uh, making reference to President Bolsonaro's claims that the system could be manipulated against him. Uh, What has he said about that and has he offered any evidence for that? Bolsonaro has been casting doubts on the electronic voting system since uh, he took office. And he was elected uh, with this electronic voting system more than five times five times uh, in this system. So this system has been in place for 20 years and there are no evidences, evidences that there has been any type of fraud. He has not presented any evidences. But he's been saying that repeatedly over a hundred times uh, right now that uh, the Voting is not is is not secure. That you cannot uh, test, and the but the the electoral court has presented evidences over and over again that the system is reliable. So right now we don't have any evidence evidences of problems with the electoral system. We have countries like the United States United States uh, saying that it is a model worldwide, uh, and some experts analysts say that Bolsonaro's discourse might 
might be an attempt to, uh, if he loses the election, cast doubts on the electoral result and, and perhaps try to mobilize his supporters uh, against the results, uh, causing, for example, dem- big demonstrations in the streets. So right now we don't know mm. whether or not he will recognize the results if he loses. This is, uh, this is a question that is out there to be answered. And let's see, the first round of that vote for the president is taking place on Sunday. Natalia, thank you so much. We'll probably bring you back probably on Monday or sometime next week to talk about those results. Uh, my colleague uh, Natalia Passerino from BBC Brussels. Now to a story where Morocco's culture ministry has accused Adidas of appropriating Moroccan culture. Why? Well, it's over new shirts for Algeria's football team. My colleague Malu Casino uh, has been following the story and uh, he joins us now. Malu, thank you uh, so much uh, for joining us here on OS. Tell us more about it. It, it sounds extraordinary. Hello. Hi. So, yes, it is quite extraordinary. Um, Morocco and Algeria have had tensions for quite some time, but Morocco's culture ministry commissioned a lawyer to to raise the issue with Adidas regarding the design and the the pattern of the new uh, the new season shirt for the for the Adidas football team no for the Algeria football team my apologies so it's yeah it's been causing quite quite a fuss and people across both countries uh, are quite surprised by by this reaction from from Morocco's culture ministry. Yeah, is it just the ministry or is there sort of tension between, you know, between football teams perhaps, between ordinary people who follow football? So it seems that the football teams themselves are quite detached from from the situation. That's interesting. And it is more of a political issue between the between well Morocco's raising it Algeria hasn't pronounced anything since and Adidas we've contacted the BBC has contacted Adidas for for a comment on the situation and we haven't heard back yet um, the designs haven't been pulled but the whole reason behind it is Morocco says it's a cultural appropriation of the Zelige which is a mosaic traditional to to the, the region uh, however Adidas says it's inspired by the Mishwa Palace, which is in Algeria. So it's quite, the two countries share a nearly 2,000 kilometer border. So they share many of, many cultures, patterns and and art, but uh, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, obviously they're sharing a border. We can't say that, you know, that it's identical in terms of cultural heritage and design, but there, there must be similarities because they're so close to each other. Absolutely. And journalist and TV host Abdella Turabi from Morocco said that if we start going back through what belongs to who, uh, he mentioned that soon enough you'd have the Spaniards filing a complaint against Morocco for a large part of their cuisine. And then you'd have Arabs who took (laughs) over from the Persians. So it just goes back and back and back if if people start trying to divide um, a region in, in such a way and, and cultures and customs. That's, in a good, that sense. that's a good point, Malu. Listen, we've been asking football fans on how they feel about the new design. This fan lives in London, but is half Moroccan and half Algerian. Let's take a listen. My name's Hamza. I'm 19. I'm from London. I'm originally Algerian and Moroccan. 
I've seen the Algerian football top. I think it's beautiful. It was inspired by the Mashwar Palace. So the Mashwar Palace is a palace that was built in 1248 by Abu Tashfin, a sultan of the Zaynid dynasty in Tlemcen, which is situated in Algeria. The football top has been inspired by the heptagonal star called Zlij, which was found in the palace. This mosaic was inspired by the Greek and Roman mosaic. I think it was an amazing idea by Adidas as it combines the culture and history of Algeria. But unfortunately, this has caused some disagreements from Algeria's neighbour in Morocco, as they see it as cultural appropriation. However, I do not think it is cultural appropriation since Algeria and Morocco have the same culture and history as they were once a unified empire during the Almohad Caliphate. I think Algeria and Morocco have bigger problems to resolve than going to court over a football top. The governments and people's continuous attacks on each other will result in nothing but more conflicts between the upcoming generations. I hope that one day Morocco and Algeria will see eye to eye, resolve their issues and make peace. Although media portrays and spreads hate between the two countries, the people do not. Algerians and Moroccans usually get along and are like brothers and sisters. That's exactly what Molu was talking about, a shared heritage. Both countries uh, have more uh, things to worry about than football shirts. And Molu was saying that they share a border and why not? The, uh, there are many similarities between the two countries. You're listening to OS here on the BBC World Service with me, Carney Sharp. You're listening to the BBC World Service, and here's what's happening in the studio this week. Christopher Tin is a Grammy Award-winning American composer of soundtracks, choral and orchestral music. Follow him as he embarks on the creation of his ambitious musical memorial to species driven to extinction by humankind. In the studio at bbcworldservice.com slash in the studio. This is the BBC World Service, and on our website you can explore more of our programmes from documentaries to science. Listen and download at any time by going to bbcworldservice.com. On air, online and on smartphone, this is the BBC World Service, the world's radio station. Hello, welcome to OS with me, Carney Sharp, live from the BBC in London. And just like that, four areas in eastern Ukraine have been annexed by Russia. It's the largest annexation by a country in Europe since the Second World War. This follows discredited referendums which have been condemned by Ukraine and the West. Russian-backed officials had earlier claimed the five-day exercise secured almost total popular support where so-called votes were held in Luhansk and Donetsk in the east and in Zaporizhia and Kherson in the south. Today's event echoes Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, which also followed a discredited referendum and was heralded by a Kremlin signing. That annexation has never been 